Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today, I'm sitting with Erin Blasky. She is the Director of Marketing at Fellow, which is an application software as a service that will help you run better meetings. So very, very good conversation. We actually met via Twitter, and that's what we get into. We get into how you can build a community and how to do that through social media and really turn people who are passerbys into brand advocates. So a great conversation for anyone who's looking at how they can build a community, how they can get slow and steady growth when it comes to their company. This is the episode for you. But before we get into that, I have to say, look, we are a social media agency, Cave Social. We sponsor, we create, we put on the show, however you want to you know, categorize it. But uh, we're an agency that helps companies grow online with social media. So if your business, your company, your personal brand, whatever it may be, is struggling with social or, hey, you just want to change it up, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us, book a free consultation. We'll be able to help you out. All righty, that's it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today, I am welcoming Erin Blasky to the show. She is the Director of Marketing at Fellow. Erin, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. We just had a, a talk off air and we found out that it's a very small world that Erin <laughs> went to high school in the same small town as my college roommate. So I was very, very happy. It's a great way to kick off the show. Yeah, so, shout out to Renfrew. Renfrew, Ontario. <laughs> I'll be I'll be sharing this with them for sure. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I want to hear your backstory. We don't have to start at high school, um, but I want to hear your backstory really, you know, in marketing. Walk me through the steps, you know, to getting you over to fellow and, and what that looked like. Yeah, so it's funny, you said we don't have to start it uh, in high school, but I actually often start this story back in <laughs> 1986, 87, when I was about six years old, my dad gave me a Commodore 64. And I often say that that was like this single handedly the moment when I realized that not only do I love tech, but I also love what tech can do for you know the mind and in terms of just like, how it can open you up to the world. So once my dad gave me this computer, I was hooked. I then, you know, stayed sort of connected to computers. My dad was building them. I stayed connected my whole life. Uh, as soon as we got internet in the house, I was, you know, firing up things like Open Diary, Live Journal, basically anything online where I could go and express myself. And you know, go. I, I moved through the teenage years with this teen angst, doing all of these blogs. Well, well before blogging was really a thing, and it was just this recurring theme for me where I was always wanting to just tell stories on platforms wherever I could. And I was so grateful when we did get the internet in the house and I and I was able to do that. But that trend continued. And then when I was 21, I had went to college for a year, decided I didn't want to do that um, and just be in school. Like I really wanted to just go work. So I left college after the year and took an accelerated program just to get a piece of paper, uh, grabbed a piece of paper, and then started working almost right away. Now, the jobs that I had, you know, er in those really, really early days had nothing really to do with marketing. I think in, in many ways, I was still trying to figure out, you know, what it would look like, even though I went to school for that one year for advertising. Um, but when I was 21, I decided that 
I was going to start a business. And I think like I was really lucky I had a female CEO in my very first job that sort of paved the way and showed me exactly like what it would look like to be an entrepreneur, to be able to have a business. Like she really sort of showed me that this was a possibility. And so I remember being at that job and I Googled online administrative assistant because I was like, you know what? I don't know if anyone's doing this yet, but let's take a look. So I did this quick Google search. I don't even remember if it was Google at the time. This was ages ago, probably was Google. But anyway, so I did the search and I ended up finding a US company that was a virtual assistance business. And I looked at it and I remember thinking to myself, I could do that. That looks pretty easy. It looks like a low cost, low investment business to start. So I put together a website having, again, just like experience in the past growing up and building GeoCity sites. I put together a website and put my services out there on the web. I started bidding on projects on Elance, which now is Upwork, and ended up getting you know a couple first clients based out of Silicon Valley. And remember, again, I grew up in the Ottawa Valley, so that was very you know bizarre to see these people in California hiring you know little old me to do these projects. But what that led to was me filling up a full roster of clients within six months. So I quit my job you know, my full time secure job to go off and be this entrepreneur at 21. And through that process of working with those early clients, I realized that marketing was really the thing I was the most passionate about. I was offering more broad services, but quickly realized that I wanted to do marketing. So doubled down on that, pivoted the business, did that for 13 years. And honestly, we could dissect those 13 years in a 100 different ways, right? 75 team members distributed globally, 300 plus clients, just just a wild ride, honestly. But in you know, through that same process, I also had a very tumultuous time at times being an entrepreneur. There was a lot of ups, a lot of downs, and the downs were really, really hard to move through. And I ended up hitting a pretty significant wall of burnout and depression. That was challenging for so many reasons, went through a divorce at the same time, lots going on. And finally decided that, you know what, I had had such a fantastic 13 years, but I was really craving getting back into, you know, an office with a team, going deep on one, you know, product or thing and not being so distributed. So I ended up taking a job at a startup accelerator here in Ottawa and it, they were focused on SaaS companies. And that led me to uh, hearing about Fellow, even though I've known the CEO of the company for a long time. Uh, that led me to experiencing Fellow both as a user pre-joining the company, but then also you know, just through networking with other SaaS companies. And in February of this year, joined Fellow. So that's my almost, you know, 20 year history in like (laughs) a minute. I love it. And, you know, one of the things you said there, it's like you're an OG for sure. If you were on GeoCities making websites, that's, I I remember that for anyone who's, you know, never heard of GeoCities, do a quick Google and you'll see the masterpieces we were putting together um, as teenagers. (laughs) Yes. Um, No, that's a hell of a ride. And yeah, yeah learning a lot, I'm sure, from entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and that nimble thinking that can definitely help you right now when you're fellow and you come in in February. Now, I want to talk a little bit about when you come into this software, right? And software as a service. And so many companies are so hyper-focused on we need to increase user accounts by a billion percent every you know, hour, or we're not going to be able to raise our next round. 
And yeah. I know you're passionate and I'm with you on this is kind of taking, you know, that that's great if that happens, but also looking at really not just growth, but meaningful growth. And if it happens at a slower pace, that's okay. So mm-hmm. I want to just get your thoughts on really like how should marketing departments and companies, when we say something like, okay, I just say meaningful growth and, and slow, but meaningful, how do you measure, mm-hmm. how do you measure, you know, what is meaningful growth versus maybe what is a, a vanity metric? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question and a really broad question. So, and I think we could probably attack it from a few different angles as well. Um, for me, really, when I, when I say slow and meaningful growth, the very first thing we have to talk about before we can even talk about, you know, what does it look like and, and, you know, how do you measure it is we have to look at the foundations of our marketing. And so many times, especially when I was consulting and coming into companies for the first time, so many of those companies wouldn't even have some of their foundations in place, right? So they their thought was, let's build this website. We're not going to you know, optimize it for conversions. We're not going to build a funnel. We're not going to set it in place all of these like nurture sequences and, and everything else that's going to help build the relationship and, and move people through the journey. We're just going to focus on building this website and we're going to put it up. And if we build it, they will come. And then we're going to throw a whole bunch of money at it. And then we're going to scratch our heads when people either come to the website and don't convert or they come to the website, convert and churn really fast. Um, and I think, you know, that's an all too often mistake. And it's hard with startups sometimes because they don't necessarily have, you know, the resources or the capital to deeply invest in something like a full, you know, like a full marketing team or even a head of marketing hire, like they have to wait. So sometimes it's, you know, the CEO of a company that may not have marketing experience trying to lead a junior marketer through the process of building all of those things. So I think the first thing we need to do is we need to look at the foundations and we need to make sure that the foundation of the marketing and, you know, the foundation of the business as a whole is completely optimized and ready. Once you get to that space, then it's about, you know, not necessarily just attacking in my, like, again, in my opinion, not just attacking some of the, you know, sexy tactics or the sexy acquisition channels or things like that. I like to look at something that's very often overlooked. And that is that your metrics, when when we talk about things like metrics and users and page views and, and everything else, what we're really talking about are people. Like we're talking about real human beings. We're talking about real human beings who are going to come to your website, take out their credit card, purchase your product, try your product, hopefully fall in love with the product or service and stick around for some time. But too often when we're focused heavily on simply just these vanity metrics of like how many users, how many page views, how many, you know, all of this, and we're, we're just wanting more, 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 we often lose complete sight of the fact that we're actually talking about real human beings. And so for me, when I say slow, meaningful growth, the way that I want to measure that is there's a number of metrics that can be used. But the first and foremost metric is, in my opinion, just are people sticking around? Are they having conversations? Are you hearing from them in your, you know, NPS? Are you hearing from them uh, when you send out a survey, when you send out your emails, are people actually responding to them? Like, is there actual human interaction? And those are the things that for me, are the most important to measure. They're all they're often sometimes the most, you know, they're not necessarily the easiest to measure at times, things like sentiment and everything else, but they're they're in my view the most important for long-term sustained growth. Uh, but I just don't think enough people 
stop to remember that we're not talking about users and page, you know, visitors and, and users with sessions and things like that. Like they're humans, they're human beings. A lot of brands are, you know, yelling. It's like they're in their garage yelling at the wall with nobody around. <laughs> yes. And we have to think about this is more like, how do we start meaningful conversations? How do we join in on them? How do we, how do we just listen when people mm -hmm. have feedback or, or valid criticism? And I think that's so important to, you know, improve the product because I think it's, it, that's going to ultimately, you know, product comes before promotion in my eyes, but at the center of all of these things is people, like you said, and understanding that when people come to our websites or come into our shop or it's an experience and they're having an experience and it's either positive or negative, it's going one way or the other, mm -hmm. depending on what that is. So little things that we might not think about, but like, oh, doing an automated chat bot, for instance, like that is the equivalent of doing mm -hmm. a phone tree, right? Not a good experience for a consumer. <laughs> and it, yeah. it's, but we might yeah. not even think that we might think like, oh, the bot handles this many requests a day. We stop to think like, we just gave a potential customer and said, talk to a robot. And for us to take yes. that one step yeah. further and go, okay, how do we start to build this community of people who are buyers, mm -hmm. prospective buyers, and brand, you know, champions and past customers really that can go on and spread that word. And that's where I want to lead into this next question and is community, right? When we look at people as this core mm -hmm. thing, community is so important. Now, how do you think brands should be approaching, you know, building community th through marketing, whether that's email, social, what have you? I think it's always unique to the brand itself. So, you know, oftentimes I feel like a lot of companies, you know, especially when they hire marketers, they often think like, I'm going to hire this marketer. They're going to put in place their tried and true process. There's a silver bullet. It's going to work. They just need to take the same pattern that they did over here and, and apply it to our company and, you know, boom, we're in business. Unfortunately, though, that doesn't really work. You can use obviously similar tactics and, and strategies, but Ultimately, it has to be handcrafted for the individual company. It, whenever I'm thinking about, you know, building communities, it's a little weird. I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but sometimes I feel like if I were to try to sit and write a marketing book on any one subject, I'd have such a hard time because so much of it is very much based on intu intuition and feel and really having the conversations that matter. Um, so th that's why we're going to go on a little journey here together because I think it's like, anyway, it's nuanced. So for me, anyway, the way that I, I often approach it is when I get into working with a new company or a new brand, I often like to just really immerse myself in customer conversations. I like to read, you know, the responses to surveys. I like to just really understand who they are as human beings. That's the psychology side of it that I absolutely love about marketing. Um, but the more that I can understand, you know, who they are as a person, what job they were trying to have done using our product or service, the more I can understand that, the better I can understand what they need out of a community. And so I'll use Fellow as an example. So we realized pretty early on that the majority of people, not all, but the majority of people that get Fellow uh, initially and use it for their team were managers. And these were managers of teams. And the reason Fellow is so great for that is because obviously they can use Fellow for their meetings, but they can also use Fellow to collect feedback and you know help, help with their one-on-ones and keep their team sort of motivated moving forward. So all of that's great. But when we realized that managers was a big part of that community, the first question 
question was, okay, well, what do managers really need? You know, what do they, what problems are they faced with every single day? And how can we, positioned as this tool, offer additional things that support that particular, you know, person. What I did when I first started is I had a lot of those customer conversations. I wanted to chat with real human beings using our tool that were in these management positions to ask them, like, what are the gaps that are missing for you? Like, what resources don't you have access to? What would help make your job easier? Way beyond just fellow as a tool, right? This wasn't like a, what features can we add to the tool that would make your life better? Like, this was more, if we take it from a much larger, you know, picture, what else do you need? And through that process, we realized, you know, that they required a few other things that maybe they weren't getting right now from necessarily the software, but that we were still positioned to to give them. And that's how things like super managers, our podcast was born or our Twitter chats, you know, we have a manager chats, uh, monthly chat. And these things were born because people were telling us, I want connection to other managers, I want to be able to have these thoughtful conversations, I want to be able to get pro tips around performance reviews and what to do with feedback and how to handle some of these things that as a manager, you're not necessarily trained on when you, you know, are put in an, into a management uh, management position and there's not like a management handbook. And so we, uh, we really started thinking about, you know, how can we provide those things? And once we understood a little bit more about the the problem that we needed to solve or the multiple problems that we needed to solve and the type of resource and support we could offer, then it was a conversation about which containers makes the most sense for this to live in. And, you know, again, we didn't just choose those because of what was popular or hot or trendy or, you know, whatever the case might be. We again thought about the users and and the people and we thought, okay, if they if they really want access to this thoughtful information, what are they most often doing pre-pandemic that was commuting to work? And so if they're commuting to work or you know, they have a few moments where they want to consume some content, a podcast makes a lot of sense. And so it's really for us about um, constantly layering layering in the thoughts about our users and the, the real human beings that they are, and then trying to just look at the opportunities to create community around that. And yeah, so it's not it's not necessarily just like, well, TikTok's hot, so we better be on TikTok. Let's figure that out. Sometimes it is that sometimes you approach it from the channel perspective, but more often than not, the real success and longevity um, in terms of that success happens when you think about it from the problem and solution side first. Yeah, that's so true, right? And looking at what are the problems and struggles the customer's having and how can we help them? How can we Mm -hmm. be the supporting actor, you know, in their starring role for their movie? I also think you said something important there about just because TikTok's hot doesn't mean your brand needs to be on it. It's, you need to, and marketers and brands have this problem where before we're done mastering something like Facebook, we then run and chase the shiny new object and we put a bunch of resources in when we only have a half-baked Facebook or half-baked Twitter or half-baked Instagram Mm -hmm. or half-baked email account because we're chasing some idea that we could go viral or become famous or have this massive Mm -hmm. moment on this new platform. And although that can happen, I think that people need to bite off what they can chew and get their ducks in a row, right, on existing platforms. I think that you've already built up a community on certain things and we're so quick to just like run to this next shiny object right and it's like no that's not we don't want to abandon our community and where that is we want to nurture it we want to build it and come back to that slow and steady growth i think it's so important and i think i i get it it's exciting new stuff is exciting but uh we go into meetings with companies all the time and i'm like you haven't 
you know, you have 400,000 Facebook fans and you've posted once last year. There's people right. there, right? Like this is, I, I get it that you don't use yeah. Facebook personally, but it's, there's people there and then they go, oh, okay. Consistency? Consistency isn't sexy. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. No, that's exactly it. The silver, everybody wants a silver bullet, right? And that's, um, yeah. And the silver bullet is showing up and, and don't get me wrong. There are growth. I hate saying growth hacks, but there are growth tactics you can use, but ultimately it is showing up, learning, iterating every day. You said something earlier about how, you know, there's an almost intuition that goes with responding or knowing when a brand should jump in a conversation or, or should be, you know, mm -hmm. formatting a tweet a certain way or getting on a trend. And that intuition comes from consistently iterating and iterating on the strategy mm -hmm you know, weekly. I think that that's so, so crucial. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And I think the one thing that I often see people do is, you know, brands especially, but also even people building personal brands is that if they, if they get on a platform or they, they join a community or they start developing content for a specific thing, and if it doesn't take off right away in the way that they envision it, they abandon it. It's not to say that I don't think that we need to you know, learn how to let things go. And when, when you know that, okay, we've given it a good go, they're not working, it's it's time to just like move on. Uh, however, too many people are, are looking for that flash in the pan. And I do agree, like completely, like we, we could have a whole separate conversation about the value of, you know, fast growth, growth hacks, you know, all of that, those, those things are equally as important. Uh, however, the thing that I'm always mo the most bullish about is really building that solid base, because that's where like things like brand loyalty comes from. Um, you build a moat around your business, uh, you know, in terms of having those raving fans. And there's so many examples of companies out there that have done this really successfully where they've championed their earliest customers and then they continue to make the customer the focus and really dialed in on people that they just have a much more long standing brand than maybe something that's really hot for a short time and then fizzles off. So I do think it's important to do both. Um, however, if I was to just like, you know, recommend people start one place, it would be get the foundation, the brand, the story and the people part, um, you know, dialed in first. Yeah. And, and you hit on something there about not necessarily chasing trends, but almost controlling your own narrative too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're not going to see iconic brands just jump on the latest trend. If it doesn't fit, they're actually going to go and try to start their own trend. Right. And that, and yes. something like that is so, so important. I think at the end of the day, it all circles back to showing up, doing it consistently and showing up for your audience and being a resource for them in whatever capacity that helps them with their struggle. Because that's how, like in the startup world, that's how eventually you're going to lead to profitability and stick around. Uh, that's the ultimate way to be consistent yes. is to have the profitable business. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I'm right there with you. I think that, um, I think companies can learn a lot. I also think you said something important there, but you see people come on and they, they post five times and then they abandon a platform and really mm -hmm. like things take time. The average podcast has seven episodes, seven and people give up. And really? Yeah. So people think they're going to be Joe Rogan after wow. five episodes, right? So it's, <laughs> it's yes. finding this like balance. So for instance, with this show, I said, we're going to do a hundred interviews. I'm giving, I'm going to do a hundred interviews and then I'll make a decision. 
and now I'm like, we've, we've done 70 published 50 something. And I'm like, Oh, we're going like this thing's moving, you know, but it probably took until episode 35, yeah. 30 before it was like, okay, wheels are going. But I think that people could use that framework of like, okay, we're going to write 24 blog posts next year for our company blog and commit to that. Yes. And then make a decision if blogging works. Yep. Don't write one blog and be like, oh, well, shit, didn't work. <laughs> or or, or yeah. one week of tweets. Be- better toss that strategy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, Aaron, I appreciate you coming on today. Um, before I let you go, let people know where they can find out more about Fellow uh, if they want to have better meetings and also where they can connect with you online. Yeah, for sure. So fellow.app is the website and definitely check it out for your next meeting or all of your meetings, ideally, but definitely for your next one. It's a fantastic meeting workspace for teams. And also there's some team management tools built into it as well. Uh, So definitely check it out. We also, you know, we've talked a little bit about it, but we have a podcast, we have manager chats, a monthly chat. We webinars and master classes tons of resources all all of it is free so you can just go to the website and start going down the rabbit hole uh, and then for myself you can just google uh, i'm literally on every platform under the sun including tiktok now which we talked hey. about off air <laughs> awesome i'll put links to all of that in the show notes as well and hey if you are in a management position definitely check out the manager chats i've uh, checked out a couple of them i highly highly recommend uh, aaron Thanks again for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I will catch you next time. Oh.